<laughs> and that, you know, we're also bringing not just ourselves and our education and our work, but our families and our history. And then as Zach said, hey, I'm the token Muslim here. Look mm -hmm. at me and what I represent and who I am. And and so there's a lot that we're coming into. And I, I, then that's one thing I appreciate is that I just, as I mentioned, I, I just can't hide much. Um, back to being the terrible poker player, but... Um, and so I appreciate that Zach doesn't ask me to. Mm -hmm. He never, and that when we're having this, it's almost that like he gives me space to even get teary eyed or mm -hmm. ha or talk about things or stumble through conversations because it, it's just not it's not an easy place to be. And if we're stumbling, we can we know how students and faculty, other people are feeling through this. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, I'm joined by Mariam, Mo Hudin, and Dr. Zach Ritter, who have been leading workshops on healing across the divides of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. This is clearly so needed, given what we are seeing in the world and on college campuses. I also hope that some of what they will share with us can bring us clarity in other areas where trauma, history, harm, anger, and hate may divide us. I'm really grateful for both of you being here for this conversation. I've been really looking forward to it. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. This episode, this episode is sponsored by Rutledge and Taylor and Francis. View their complete catalog of authoritative education titles at rutledge.com education. And this episode is also sponsored by Leadership. Go to leadership.org to learn how they can work with you to create a just, caring, and thriving world. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a speaker, author, and coach, helping higher ed leaders and organizations advance learning, leadership, and equity. You can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. I'm usually broadcasting from my home in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Today, I'm in a different location in Colorado at the intersections of the ancestral and current homelands of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. Uh, Mariam and Zach, thank you so much for being here. Let's get to the conversation. I'd love for you to introduce yourselves a little bit more, and we're going to start with you, Mariam. Great. Thank you for having us on today. Um... So my name is Mariam Mohideen and you completely got my name right. Thank you. Um, I am. I like to say that I'm a Texan, but I have to admit too that I'm a Canadian. I was born in Canada, raised in Texas, and now living in LA. I think it's important to mention those because it really explains who I am and how I've even come to this conversation and how much my background has shaped who I am. My family is, I'm first generation. My family's from Pakistan. And um, I've been doing, I've been in the communications industry for about 25 plus years, start off as a journalist. Um, actually, I came to the newsroom one month before 9-11 happened. So that was very interesting in my wow. development and my career and who I am as a Muslim American. And, um, and I guess I should say that too. I'm a born and raised Muslim. My family is, I would say a little bit more conservative, but extremely liberal as well. We live in this dichotomy of that. <laughs> and um, I've been active in about 10 years ago, I did 
a fellowship, which I must give credit to, which is called New Ground, a Muslim Jewish Partnership for Change, which has essentially just changed my life. And mm. I started doing a lot of Muslim Jewish dialogue from there. And it's been about a decade working in this space and um, really being able to train under so many different leaders and rabbis and imams um, to come to where I am today. And, you know, not not hoping that anything like this would ever happen I am thankful that I can be part of this conversation and hopefully um, bring any kind of ease to anybody that's hurting right now. I love it. And I think one of the themes that I've been thinking a lot about is how we break free from either or binaries and embrace the both and complexity. And your intro just did that. <laughs> Canadian, Texas, Pakistan, L.A., a family that is both conservative and also liberal at the same time. So I think that's that's really great. Uh, Zach, tell us a little bit more about you. Hey, everybody. Um, so happy to be here. Thank you. It's an honor. Um, Zach Ritter, he, him, his. I am from L.A. My father was born in a refugee camp in Bavaria in Germany. Um, and that's where you get Bavarian Motor Works, BMW. Um, and so we'll get into that. But growing up, the the shadow of the Holocaust was always ever present in my upbringing and just like what humans can do to each other uh, in a very terrible way. Um, and then what we can do to help be liberatory towards each other, I think, is also the lesson there. Um, my grandparents were in Auschwitz, uh, from Poland and Austria. And so I got really interested in learning about history in Europe and learning about histories of the world and then the intersections of, um, you know, how the Jewish Holocaust intersects with the Black Holocaust, Native American Holocaust, and uh, learning about these, these, these histories so that we can do the kind of the Jesse Jackson Rainbow Coalition thing of, of moving forward together in a, in a progressive way. Uh, the last, I don't know, I'm getting old, but the last like 12 years, I've been in a mixture of higher education, doing DEIJ work, uh, being a part-time professor at UCLA at Cal State Dominguez Hills. Uh, currently, I serve as a senior diversity officer at Cal State Dominguez Hills. Um, and I also did a couple of years in Jewish nonprofits. Um, so... And I'm also a product of New Ground. So yes, shout out to New Ground who um, brought Mariam and I together and, and connected me with uh, Muslim and Jewish friends that um, I, I'm not sure I'd ever connect with if not for them. And uh, what brought me to that work was also a love story. And I was in love with um, someone who was uh, East African and, and Muslim. And, um, and she was like, well, if we ever get married, I want you to say the Shahada. And... Um, I had no idea what that was. And so I, I needed to learn and I needed to be with, with folks uh, to grow my knowledge of, of different cultures and religions. So that's a little bit of, of who I am. And I, I'm sure more will be revealed about mm -hmm. ourselves as we, as we go on. Yeah. I, and, and more both. And as you share your story and you reminded me of Valerie Cower talking about, I spent my first 20 years organizing around hate. I want to spend the next 20 years organizing around love. Mm. And sort of your your entry into this being a love story is is really wonderful. Uh, well, let's uh, let's get all of us on the screen here together and talk about this. Um, 
you know, we've been wanting to do some things on this particular topic and sort of around this topic in connection to other things and really trying to figure out the right way to do it, um, to offer healing and dialogue and understanding and complexity. And um, so really glad to connect with both of you. And I think your intros show exactly why. Um, super recently, like you both said, you've been doing this for a long time. Super recently, um, you've both been leading workshops together around this topic, in addition to the more broad work you've been doing for decades. Um, what are you learning? What is what is really coming up for you about bridging divides between Jews and Muslims um, right here, right now? So I was talking to my younger sister last night. Um, she's a therapist. I feel like I turned to her because I just was down and I couldn't explain it. And um, we were just talking about the presentation that we just did recently. And and one thing she just said is that, you know, presentations take a lot out of people because you're you're having to be, you're having to have this conversation, especially this conversation and be active and on while still things might be triggering you along the way. And this conversation is really complex and it's not simple. And the feelings and emotions around it are not simple. And it just, you don't have your good days and your bad days. And, um, and there's nothing bad that happened in our presentation. It's just that the conversation is just hard. And a part of it just seems, well, a part of it is just really sad. And, and I, I'm much more of an intuitive person. So it really just has been affecting me recently um but that's one of the things i find the hardest is that you're taking you're absorbing so much emotion from other people and having to hold that space for them to be able to have asked questions mm -hmm. and for you to be able to provide clarity and neutrality or have you seen it from this point of view and that can that can get hard because it is it's a conflict and you're you need con confrontation even when even when saying have you considered it from this point of view? Mm -hmm. it, yes to all that. It's 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 not easy. And I found myself the other day when Mariam and I were presenting at a college, like I was just feeling it in my body. And mm. nothing particularly bad happened, but I, it just bring, brought up a lot of emotions of of negative things from the past. And I and I was thinking about. Um, when I was presenting at a at a church, and this, uh, I was talking about like the Holocaust, and, and and this German German national came up to me afterwards and was like really challenging me, and was like talking about numbers of how many people were actually killed in the in the in the camps and the showers and things like this, and it just was like, whoa, this is this is the stuff I hear about on TV about Holocaust deniers and like, here it is in my face and like, but I can't lose my composure because then I'm going to look like some angry Jewish guy who came to this, you know, church that's not my community. And then I popped off on this person. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of politics around being Muslim in America. There's a lot of, a lot of politics around being Jewish uh, in America. And I think, you know, the recent, war you know that broke out october 7th it has um 
made things very, very polarized on social media, obviously on college campuses. And I think it's also dug up a lot of trauma, uh, PTSD, things within our bodies that um, we knew were kind of there. I don't know if we really wanted to uh, be confronted with it all at once, but but here we are. And and I know we're going to get into it, but, but like Mariam said, holding people's pain while also trying to pretend to kind of put your own pain aside is is a difficult uh difficult proposition a couple of themes that i'm i'm hearing um which i think are relevant to this and so many other things but a lot of times i think when we talk about social change we talk about changing others or changing the world or changing and uh, Mm -hmm. it always begins with self yeah it begins with changing yourself and you're both pointing towards some of the self-work to do that you've done to be able to be there and not not have your emotions but hold them for now, tend to them in another space so you can be here for the emotions of those, which is, takes a lot of self-awareness, um, right? Noticing I, oh, in my body, I am really feeling this. And then self-management to say, but my job is to be the facilitator of other people's learning in this moment. And then how are you going to tend to that in other places, right? Yeah, I'm going to let Mariam jump in, but just as you're speaking, it jumps into my mind of, uh, I was recently reading Gracie Lee Boggs' book, um, and and she's a, for those that don't know, she's a a very famous activist, uh, Chinese-American activist who married uh, a Black man, and they were activists together in Detroit. Um, And she has this great saying where she's like, uh, now is the time to transform our souls. And if we don't transform ourselves and our souls, then how are we going to transform our society? Um, and she's talking about like, you know, abolition and, and voting and changing uh, housing rights and, and education rights um, for black folks in Detroit. Uh, I'm also thinking as you're saying this, um, something that my girlfriend tells me sometimes when we're, when we are in conflict, uh, Hey, you're kind of dissociating. You're not here. Hey, hey, hey. Mm. And I think uh, I've been in so many situations where there's such strong emotion from uh, student, staff, or faculty um, that reminds me of like my childhood, right? Of growing up uh, in a family where there was a Holocaust survivor who would, didn't know how to regulate her emotions and she would just yell. And she'd be like really mean towards people, but it was confusing because she'd also be like really nice the next moment. And she'd be like, you know, caressing their arm and oh, Zachary, I love you so much, love you so much. So it was this kind of uh, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde stuff, um, which I also see unfortunately play out in academia and in student affairs. Um, but I think growing up in a household with people with strong emotions, with a lot of trauma, uh, and then me being the youngest in the family, trying to do shuttle diplomacy, trying to soothe people's uh, souls, trying to like be the healer and the funny guy to get levity in the room. Yeah. Those skills, I mean, whatever. Yeah, I got like a master's and PhD and all those technical things. That didn't really, you know, sorry, my PhD teachers love you, but that didn't really teach me the skills to do this work. It was growing up in that household and balancing people's emotions 
and, and trauma that helped me uh, do this work. Well, I think one of the ways that we disassociate is make it an intellectual activity, make it about history, make it about yeah. terms, make it about yeah. this. And I, I think that's where student affairs folks can really inhabit that gap. I think there's a lot of usefulness in talking about this in courses, and some of them might tap into the emotional aspect, but I think a lot of times we want to avoid the emotions because I'm uncomfortable with yours and I'm uncomfortable with mine. And so let's just keep it objective and keep it factual. But how do we mm. allow for the emotions in a way, because I think denying them doesn't help, but also letting them run rampant. But how do we allow for them and see what they can offer and tap into that healing and that connection? Um, I feel like I'm very skillful. I was gonna say, I feel like I'm the opposite of this. I, mm. I, am, a very, I'm, I am a very emotional person. And I grew up very short-tempered and angry and just emotions always present. That's how my family was. What was there is what you read in our faces. You can still pretty much read it. I'm a terrible poker player. Um, <laughs> but over the years, I've learned that like it, it just, it was getting me nowhere and mm. how miserable I was and how much I was pushing people away. So I really put the work in to change. Mm. And, um, I I am very self-aware and I think that change has helped me um be okay with and be be okay with emotion like and have it be present because mm -hmm. I do strongly believe like when you when you intellectualize or you just keep it so fact-based I can I can see how people manipulate conversations and mm. and especially when someone's emotional how emotion people's emotions can be manipulated and I, I'm such a strong social justice advocate that I can't even have unjust conversations mm. because of how much it drives me crazy when I see those who can hold a temper or keep steady or be intellectual. They can use that almost as a manipulating thing. And I just, mm. I, I can't. I'd rather have someone cry, yell, scream, and let's just work through it than... Um, mm than I think it's an important yeah. distinction too when we're doing that with genuineness and realness rather than um, disingenuous to be manipulative or to change the conversation or do things in my, or avoid this and focus on that. But um, fostering that can be a real, um, it can open up possibilities. I was gonna say, I think emotions are so, like, so something happened recently where Zach and I were, presenting and some questions were being asked of me and I I can't even explain but it was the emotions in the room and the, the what I was reading off of the presenter and I was it was so mixing in my brain and I didn't know how to I couldn't make my way through and but I'm so thankful because Zach was there to be my partner in this conversation and he just turned he just whispered to me you don't have to answer that question and it provided such clarity for me mm. but I was also thankful that my emotions were there because it was giving me like it was like spidey senses going off like there was something wrong in this conversation there's mm -hmm. a, a different agenda kind of here so so what I'm getting at is that I, I think emotions especially in this conversation are important and for people to feel them and then be ready to have the discussion if they can mm -hmm. and um because I think those emotions that 
is they're so strong right now in this context. And then if we were to squish them down, then we're harming ourselves in that process. Dehumanize ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And that, that moment, because I'm such an empath and I know you are as well, but I could feel, I could feel your like, like your like ickiness towards this individual, and 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 as the as the words came out of that person's mouth, I was like, oh no 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 that yeah that's that's not a good thing to ask, and um, and yeah, I mean you're you're my friend, you're my colleague. We we've known each other for I don't know what six seven plus years now, and I was just like. I don't know. I kind of felt like I wanted to defend my friend, you know? And so I just, but I didn't want to make it a big deal in front of the audience. And so I just like whispered to you, like, Hey, that's like, you know, that's like a personal thing. Like you don't have to bear your soul to mm-hmm. these folks. Right. And a lot of this work can sometimes feel like I am the Jewish person on display. I am the most Muslim person on display and ask me anything you want. Uh, and and it gets uh offensive and and there's right gender dynamics and there's mm-hmm. there's um racial dynamics and uh we <laughs> in our planning meetings mariam is like i'm like hey do you want to take this section do you want to take this section and mariam is like um as a male you know as a as a light-skinned like white presenting jewish guy you probably have more latitude. You should say this part. It's going to be yeah. better if you say it. And these are, um, unfortunately, this is the world we live in and these are the politics that we live in. And I think Mariam and I's goal in these educational sessions um, with with a lot of stuff on the line, right? These institutions invite us and like, oh my gosh, the elephant in the room, like don't talk about you know, Gaza, don't, uh, what about this? What about this? You're going to offend this, we're going to offend this constituency. I think we are trying to uh, bring education, bring some of that healthy emotional uh, abundance and not to be afraid of our emotions. Um, Because let's be honest, higher education institutions have become very, money-driven and very prestige-driven. And so when we're talking about money and prestige, emotions and feelings are messy and dangerous and could lose us money. Mm-hmm. Or media right. attention or social media right. attention or, yeah. Yeah, don't we don't want to end up on the front page of the LA Times or whatnot. So I think we, we how, do, how do we talk about these issues of, yeah, mass death and, 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 and terrible histories of death in a nice way you can't right it's gonna get messy and so yeah. how do we how do we get messy without uh dehumanizing each other right but- i think that's one of the things too is that we do get messy um and we are honest and you have to be because it's not even authenticity but we're showing that we're struggling through this too and yeah, it's role modeling 
Yeah, exactly. Because we're just not even modeling, oh, look at how we can communicate and work together. We're also modeling that we're having a tough time through and what we had to do to even compromise to bring this presentation here. <laughs> and that, you know, we're also bringing not just ourselves and our education and our work, but our families and our history. And then as Zach said, hey, I'm the token Muslim here. Look mm -hmm. at me and what I represent and who I am. And and so there's a lot that we're coming into. And I, I, then that's one thing I appreciate is that I just, as I mentioned, I, I just can't hide much um, back to being the terrible poker mm -hmm. player. But, um, and so I appreciate that Zach doesn't ask me to. Mm -hmm. He never, and that when we're having this, it's almost that like, he gives me space to even get teary eyed or mm -hmm. or talk about things or stumble through conversations because it, it's just not it's not an easy place to be and if we're stumbling we can we know how students and faculty and other people are feeling through this yeah so three things that i want to highlight listening to you is um co-facilitation is really important Right. So you have just a little bit moment, a little bit, you know, that support, but also I can step away for a little bit, recover, manage some of those things. Um, and then I also heard um, the sort of intersectional an analysis, right? What are all of the other, we might be talking about Jews and Muslims. We might be talking about Islamophobia and anti-Semitism, and what else are at play? What are the gender? What are the racial implications? You know, what are, what's all, all going on here? And then being strategic about that, right? So given the reality of us, our identities, how we're read, the world, the pressure on college campuses, the news, <laughs> the fact that someone's videoing in the back. How do we take <laughs> you know, all that reality and say, how do we want to strategically move forward so we can be as effective as possible? Um, I've talked with several senior student affairs officers who have said, we just don't feel equipped to have to lead this conversation on our campus. And um, our DEI folks don't feel equipped to lead this conversation. I don't feel equipped to lead this conversation. And we worry if we have it and we're not equipped, it might do more harm than good. And, and so we're not having it. And that feels terrible and it's not where we wanna be. And we're really struggling. Um, so I just wonder before we, we move on, what else would you offer? Um, what have you learned that's maybe helpful and for folks who feel like I'm not equipped to do this, what might you offer them that might be helpful for them? There's a couple of things that I can say and that come to mind. One is that I've been in communications for a while. And the one thing I try to tell any of my clients or whoever I'm working with is communicate. Communicate, over-communicate, and communicate again. Because when you don't address the elephant in a room, you're actually making the elephant bigger and people are going to look at it even more. So I know that people feel like, oh, well, we're just not going to have the conversation. And that's actually worse than trying to at least tackle or, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time and to be and to just have small nuggets of conversation mm -hmm. or just even saying even saying, like, I, I don't know, but we're going to gather in this space or you know, having um, different groups come together or tackling it in different ways. It doesn't have to be completely so head on. We're going to take it all on, answer all the questions. We're going to come back and have a solution and solve, um, bring peace to the middle. Like no one's asking for that. What people are asking for is to be seen and to be heard. And, and that's really is that simple. Um, and so I feel like I feel like that to me is such an important thing is just have the conversation. However small or big you do it, 
have it. And I think something that I just mentioned before too, is that be honest about what you do and what you don't know. And, mm -hmm. and I feel like it's okay to walk into a group and say, you know, I don't know this. Whenever I'm coaching a client about um, interviews with the media, and, I'm, and I even say, if the media asks you questions and you don't know the answer, it is okay to say, I don't know that answer, I will get back to you. And that is the completely legitimate response. Yeah. Or to say, I don't know this, I do know this. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that also plays out in these kind of presentations. Yeah, it can feel like you're losing credibility, but when when I do it, but when I hear other people do it, it gains credibility, right? When they say, you know, I'm not sure about that, but what I do know, I'm just like, oh, you're so wise. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think administrators, uh, staff, uh, faculty, and students, they're you can bring experts to the campus to do presentations and to do long-term coaching and to do long-term education around these things. And, you know, Mariam and I are, are currently doing that, uh, which is, which is powerful work. But before you bring, you know, content expert folks, uh, I don't know, whatever, that's a strong word. I, I don't know if I'm an expert, but like, you know, we know some stuff and, and, and yeah, well, in process, there's content and there's process. Correct. Correct. Um, I think it's okay for institutions to have uh, trauma-informed healing spaces and having gatherings where people come and they talk about what they're seeing on social media, how many of their family members have been killed in this conflict, how many family members are being held hostage or are in 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 prison, uh, you know, in Israel. They, just because people's going back to emotions, just because people's emotions are put out there in a in a healing session, in a listening session, doesn't mean that uh, it's scary and bad and is going to lose the institution money. Or someone someone might take out a flag from a country and say, you know, uh, free Palestine. Or someone might say, you know. Uh, wear an IDF, uh, Israel Defense Forces shirt. And that's not the end of the world. That's a, that on a college campus, aren't we supposed to be a marketplace of ideas where people are supposed to talk about things and, and, and disagree and collegiately uh, have conflict about these issues? I think we're so afraid of having healthy conflict that sometimes we are hiding behind screens and fighting each other there. But we know social media on this, you know, college campus especially, smashes people down into two-dimensional people. And, oh, I saw they posted this thing. They're dead to me. Mm -hmm. Where do we have the healthy spaces, places on college campuses where people can mess up and, mm -hmm. and, and say, say something that, they're trying out that their identity as a Jewish person, as a Christian person, as a Muslim person, as a, you know, as a person of good faith coming to this. We need to create spaces where students can figure out who they are. And if mm -hmm. we just, if we, if we, I'm going to say two things here. If we shut people down, uh, they may not be saying it, but that, that anger or whatever is going to keep growing in them. Mm -hmm. 
And also, um, you know, Loretta Ross, uh, who created the reproductive justice uh, movement, when she talks about calling people out, but rather calling them in, I think is is really important because in front of a whole audience, if you are publicly uh, shamed as you are the bad person, rather than your statement or your idea was problematic and like, let's think about this in a different way, you can call someone in and then the learning journey begins of, ooh, I didn't, I didn't know that when I say that, it hits you like this. And also there's a political, uh, financial aspect to what students are saying of, I don't wanna be complicit in the killing of other people in the Middle East. And I am really upset at XYZ University for having investments in these missile and bomb companies. And I want you to divest yesterday. And that's where it gets really sticky and complicated because institutions are run on uh, finances. And so when you start critiquing the finance of an institution, then institutions start getting uh, uh, scared. But this is nothing new. We saw this in the Vietnam War era. We saw this in the in the Bush, uh, Iraq, um, Afghanistan wars. Mm -hmm. uh, this is nothing new. And so we're, I think these institutions still haven't gotten uh, maybe equipped to deal with this type yeah. of critique. Well, we've talked about the bridging um, between Jews and Muslims, and this isn't just about Israel and Gaza. It's also about what's happening here in the U.S. on college campuses and, and power and oppression and religious oppression. I'd love for the two of you to talk a little bit about anti-Semitism and Islamophobia and what you're seeing, what you're noticing. How are they similar? How are they different? Because I think it's not just about difference. There's also power and oppression playing out in similar and different ways. I think that's a, that's a big question. Um, that's one of the reasons that we're doing this conversation, or we even started this conversation, was because I'm not going to solve the issues in the Middle East. Um, I wish I could. And I I can go out and protest and, and, and all of that, which I've done most of my life. And then it just seemed like, well, this is the one place that I can make a difference because it's what's happening in my home mm -hmm. and on on my homeland where I want to make sure from the, what I've experienced growing up doesn't continue to happen to my nieces and nephews. I don't have, I don't have any children, but, um, and to the future and to the next generation of Muslim Americans that are out there. You know, I mentioned that I came, I started working. Well, so let me back up a little bit too, and that I came to America when I was 12. So it was a high, it was the start of the Gulf War, the first Gulf War. So I just feel like since I've gotten here, it's just been this constant onslaught against Muslim Americans, right? So then you have the different, the Gulf Wars, then you have um, so many movies that just depicted us as terrorists and um, we had a certain look and then there was not, and then of course 9-11 and, yeah. you know, um, Zach mentioned some of the Bush era um, uh, thing policies that came out like from NCRs to the Patriot Act to even the formation of the DHS 
but um so so my thought our my thought our thought was that one thing that we know is that the rise of xenophobia in one group creates a rise in other groups. So as you're seeing this rise, we are as legitimately seeing Muslims being attacked physically in their office spaces, how they're speaking with their coworkers or on campus, what they're publishing, not publishing. And so this is my small, feeble, maybe big, huge, I don't know, attempt at trying to provide some kind of discourse or even making someone say, hmm, so if they say, if they're wearing a kafia, what does that mean? Um, you know, my cousin was just telling me that a kid was, a student was beat up in Austin and he was wearing a kafia. And like, what what does that shawl mean? Like, wh why did that happen? Can I, why didn't someone step in? Can I help have that conversation so that people know when wearing that, it doesn't mean that you're anti-Semitic. It mm -hmm. means that you're, you know, you're proud of Palestine and the Palestinian people. But yeah, I, I think we don't. How do I put this? We're not good at going beyond the binary, even in terms of LGBTQ plus issues, right? So or, or yeah. anything, or anything, <laughs> right? Right. And so I think what mine is, is is saying I'm agreeing with, like, just because I wear this kafia doesn't mean I I hate XYZ group or I want death to XYZ group. Um, picking up on Mariam's thread, we know the ADL Anti-Defamation League reports that uh, anti-Semitism rates have gone up, uh, reporting has gone up 388% since October 7th. Um, we also know that CARE, uh, the uh, Muslim American group, American relations, Islamic relations, yeah. Indicates that since October 7th, uh, Islamophobic uh, hate crimes uh, incidences have gone up 300%. Um, so we both know that, we all know that the, both of these communities are facing uh, violent, uh violent attacks on their on their bodies uh verbal uh hatred and and otherwise right and i think we also have to remember what it means to uh be in a brown body in this country right to be in a black or brown body uh there's already a uh, visible hatred target on you because of the 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 genocidal history uh, and, and slavery history of this country. Um, I am able in most places, well, in LA and New York and other places, I, I don't feel as comfortable, but like if I am not wearing a yarmulke, I'm not wearing a Jewish star, uh, I can pass. Um, now, now some, if there's really good haters, you know, there's really, sometimes there's really good haters. And they say, oh, I could tell, you know, his nose and his, five o'clock shadow and, and all this stuff this is this is jew and and i've had that i've had i've had that in in when i was on vacation with my brother this guy came up to us and said i know who you two are and you're jewish and i've come here to kill you and i'm i know what you've done in history and and he wanted to he, we got in a, in a fight and, and it was a whole production it was it was terrible um so so i think i can hide more so than uh 
a Muslim person who's in a in a, in a black or brown body. Um, there's also white Muslims. I understand this, um, and I think I have to challenge my own some of my own internalized anti-Semitism because mm -hmm. sometimes when I hear uh, complaints reports from some of the people in my circle that that's anti-Semitic, that's anti-Semitic. Some of it is is really anti-Semitic, but just because someone critiques Israel or just because someone is waving a Palestinian flag or saying, um, hey, hey, you know, Netanyahu, we charge you with genocide. You may not agree with that statement, but critiquing the leader of a country um, is not inherently in my opinion, um, anti-Semitic, mm -hmm. uh, and you know we can get into the IRA definition and all that. That's that's um, contested, but with all that said, as a professional, I want to hold space for everybody, even with opinions that I that I deeply disagree with, even from uh, my own community, right? Um, Jewish identified folks, and uh, I was talking to someone who was um, pro-Palestinian um, and they were saying some things that were really hard for me to hear. They were saying that the people that were dancing in the desert on that day deserved to die because why are they dancing so close to the Gaza border and shouldn't they have known? Um, and, and isn't that amazing that, that, that the, um, the paragliders were gliding in and, and machine gunning people because it's so innovative in the way that they attacked Israel. And so some of these things, I I need to hold space for it and say, mm, okay, I mm, I hear what you're saying. And before I uh, verbally attack them or whatever, I need to hear and understand where they're coming from. And then I can start gently pushing back. But I think our culture is so ingrained in if you don't immediately shut someone down on social media, if you immediately don't, if you don't shut someone down in person, that you are a sellout, you are not, yeah. um, you know, an anti-racist, and that, and that you're per, you're part of the problem. You are perpetuating the killing. Right. You're not whatever what the, enough, right? You're not. What you're the, not. I was gonna say one thing you asked about was our the history of the two groups, and 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 so I wanted to comment on that because that's one of the things that led me in this direction and wanted to be involved with Muslim Jewish relations was because when I began to learn more about Judaism, one thing was I had to confront was my own internal anti-Semitism and then began to see how much of what I believed and being a Muslim was so similar to um, who Jews are and what they believe. And just that there was this, so it was interesting. There was just like one small thing incident that happened when I had asked somebody like, well, what do you do on Christmas? And they had mentioned like, oh, I hate Christmas day. There's nothing to do. And I mean, and I said, you know, growing up in the eighties and nineties pre-internet and pre-streaming channels, there was nothing on TV that day mm. and nothing was open. I hated Christmas day because it was just, it, I just felt so like everybody else was doing something special and, and I was alone and we were doing nothing. But what I'm getting at is that I found a Jewish friend who had the same feeling. And mm -hmm. it was such a deep feeling because it was from my childhood that I felt absolutely connected. And I think these two communities have been connected for so long and yet are now being pitted against one another. And I think it's advantageous to have us pitted against one another mm -hmm. instead of having us work together. And, um, but there's so much more commonality. And when we were doing this presentation that we referenced 
a little while ago, someone kept mentioning Judeo-Christian, Judeo-Christian. And finally, I just stopped and said, can we please stop using this term? Because this term has nothing to do with Judaism and Christianity and the similarity between the two. It actually is a lot to do with Christianity dominating. And the thing is that there's also a truth of the three religions being Abrahamic. And we've established that. So why do we keep turning to these two together? This one's over here. Like, why not just bring them all together and have this presentation? And and the speaker that I when I commented on this, he got so offended. And 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 I was like, you you don't even understand what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. It's not about you. It's about how we've been tricked into like even using this terminology, which is breaking us apart even further when we actually are so aligned. And my mom used to, my mom loves talking about just how, well, you know, back in the day, Muslims and Jews, we got along and we lived so together, peacefully together. And it's like, okay, mommy, yes, no, I know. Um, you know, when you look at like even things like, in, I mean, the Spanish Inquisition was against both of us. Mm-hmm. Terrible reference, but I was just recently in Spain and my tour guide was like, oh, this is where Muslims and Jews were killed. And we just kind of turned and we looked at this chart and we're like, okay. Like it's just with such a weird feeling, but but there is this long history of being together. Yeah, I I love that commonality um, across difference, right? That which doesn't mean they're the same, but um, that there is also commonality in in the difference, and you know, religious and cultural differences, and racial and ethnic differences, and differences in experience, oppression. Um, the thing that the two of you reminded me is from another religion, sort of a Buddhist maxim of, um, you know, notice your reactivity mm. and then how do you get to a place where you can choose a response, right? Mm-hmm. So when when I hear this, I want to be reactive. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. my flash, my trigger, my get back at them, all right? And how do mm. I take a breath, respond tomorrow, don't respond so that I can choose a response in alignment with my values and who I want to be. Um, There's actually I, a saying um, that if you're, if you're like confronted in an angry conversation and you're both standing, like you should sit down mm-hmm. and then if you're still angry, go lie down. Yeah. <laughs> and the idea is to break that, yeah. um, we're talking about like removing yourself <laughs> and taking a breath. Um, yeah. So I completely agree. Yeah. I think Zach mentioned earlier that people are afraid of healthy conflict. I'm not afraid of healthy conflict. I'm afraid of messing up. I'm afraid of getting it wrong. I'm afraid of stepping in it and the the criticism, not of what I said, but of who I am. Right. And that's that's the difference between guilt and shame. And I think that's that's really powerful. Well, um <laughs> we knew this wouldn't be enough time. We're running out of time. <laughs> Uh, I want to move us toward our closing question. The podcast is called Student Affairs Now. We always like to end by asking, what are you thinking, troubling, or pondering now? So just feel free to share with folks anything you want to add uh, on this topic, or or maybe there's something else that you really is present with you today. And then if folks want to connect with you, where might they best be able to do that? Mariam, we're going to start with you. Sure. So I mentioned that I was speaking to my sister about this and my sisters and I have an older sister as well. We talk about this a lot and just because we're all facing this in different ways. My younger sister being a therapist, my older sister being an educator um, and me being a communicator. And and one thing that I keep remembering and we keep reminding ourselves is that we've been taught different ways to have a conversation with different groups and acceptance and conflict resolution. And so why can't that be 
brought into this conversation? Why does it automatically get turned off? And like the benefit of the doubt that we've given people in conversation, my aunt likes to mention a, um, a hadith, a saying in Islam about if you you should give someone seven hundred reasons, excuses, and the last excuse should be I can't think of enough excuses. Mm-hmm. And so she's always mentioning that, and mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, and I'm not talking about giving excuses for this conversation, but trying to see that other perspective. And I'm so thankful that I am in a family that I can bring something up, and people will be like. Okay, let's think this through. But I say all of this to say that this is such a complicated issue with complicated feelings and that so many of us are at different stages and levels and it's okay. And if you are backing away from a friendship or a relationship in the short term, it could come back in the long term. And it's okay to do that because it is that difficult. And that I just hope that people can just pause to say, wonder what the other side might be thinking um anyways i don't want to take more time but you can also find me on pretty much any social media platform i'm a communications person so everything is open if you just look under my name and my name of mariam is very unique most people don't spell it this way awesome thank you what's with you right now zach i'm thinking about that little kid that i was and how we're all in some ways that little kid just walking around in bigger bodies. Um, pretending to be grownups. Pretend, some of us doing a better job than others. Uh, <laughs> speaking from experience. Um, I, I think we focus a lot on, you know, sometimes the tough stuff of the, the hurt child or the broken child or the not loved enough. And, and sometimes what about the, the child the different parts of our childhood where we our cups were full and we were having fun and we're like playing in the sandbox or we're at the beach or whatever we're yeah. doing. And I'm thinking about the power of humor. And that little kid that I was using humor, using my kind of slapstick body to like make people laugh and and soothe people's pain that had experienced, uh, you know, my grandma's family, they were all murdered. You know, she had like four sisters, she had two parents, she had a whole, I saw a picture with 60 people that I had never met, taken a photograph. I don't know how it survived, this photograph taken before the war. And um, and my dad showed it to me and he said, out of these 60 people, four people survived. Mm-hmm. And so the power of humor that I sought to diffuse and to make laugh Pola, her name was Pola, Pola Vaga, um, Grandma Pola. And I was watching a comedian, a Palestinian comedian named Sammy Obed. And um, and he said, he said, you know, well, well, I'm not a Zionist. Um, in fact, I don't even know really what a Zionist is, but like I'm I I saw that um there's different types of Zionism. And right? he's always using humor and he's saying, there's one form of Zionism, which is like, Jewish folks should have a safe place where they live and they feel comfortable. Okay, yeah, I could get behind that. And then there's like a second level of Zionism where it's like, and the the state should be right in the Middle East uh, where where Palestinian folks are living. And But it's okay, you, you guys are gonna figure it out. And then he looks at the screen, he's like, are we? And then there's 
<laughs> and then there's a third level of it, which is God told me that this is my land and here's my like large weapon and you got to deal with God. And it's like, uh oh, like uh, that, you know, that's not good. And so I, I kind of uh, think that joke is interesting because when we talk about these hard and fast things of are you a Zionist or an anti-Zionist, there's so much more uh, on that spectrum of are you pro-Palestinian or do you hate the Palestinians? There's so much more uh, beyond the binary when when we listen to each other. You know, sometimes humor is appropriate, sometimes it's not. I mean, there's there's mass death and mass casualties. So so I don't know about always using humor, but I'm trying to find places and spaces that are refilling my cup so that I can go out and do this work. Mm -hmm. Because if, you know, my girlfriend is, is, is constantly um, doom scrolling and, and it's, and it's, and it's crushing her soul. And so I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about that. And I'm also thinking about the, the power that universities have to model, role model to our young folks that it's okay and it's beautiful to protest. And it's more than okay, it's beautiful to, like we were talking about in the beginning, to show emotions and to say 27 to 30,000, you know, Gazan folks are killed and we don't want anyone being killed. And there's 200 plus hostages, uh, Israeli hostages. We don't want that either. And here are some steps forward about how to share power, to share land. Uh, and it breaks my heart when I see uh, folks with, with, you know, I don't know, donors or, or board members that are silencing young people and, and doing the kind of the Neil McCarthy thing of saying, you are bad because you care about human rights. You are bad because you care about, we all care about human rights and we need to be able to have this discussion and we need to model it on college campuses because if we can't model it on college campuses, how are we gonna model it in the presidential debates right. and, and, and in the law offices and the, the doctor's offices and, and and churches, temples, masjids. Um, that's what I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. It reminded me of uh, John Kabat-Zinn says, uh, "This is too serious a matter to not take to take too seriously." <laughs> and uh, his point is not just that humor um, helps us with perspective, but also it helps us see possibilities we wouldn't see otherwise. Mariam has talked about grace and openness to to engaging with people, and I think humor can help us do that. Zach, where can people find you if they want to connect with you a little bit more? Yeah. Um, ZachRitter.net, um, Ritter.Zach at gmail.com. Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, connect with me. Uh, bring Mariam and I, you know, to your campus. Um, and, and you know, even if you disagree with the things that, that, that I'm saying, I, I, I want to hear from you. And I want to hold space. And, and it's through those tough conversations with people I deeply disagree with that I've learned more and I've become, I've transformed my soul, as Gracie Lee Boggs would say. Um, so so I welcome everybody. Yeah. And we're still learning. Still learning. 
Thank you both. This has been terrific. I really appreciate the, the work that you've done, are doing, and will continue to do. I think this is so important for so many reasons um, and beyond this moment and will will continue to be important. So thank you both. Thank you. Thanks also to thank our yeah. Thanks also to our sponsors of today's episode, Rutledge and Leadershape. Rutledge, Taylor & Francis is the world's leading academic publisher in education, publishing a wide range of books, journals, and other resources for practitioners, faculty, administrators, and researchers. They welcome Stylist Publishing to their publishing program and are thrilled to enrich their offerings in higher education, teaching, student affairs, professional development, assessment, and more. They're a proud sponsor of the podcast. You can view the complete catalog at rutledge.com slash education. And Leadership partners with colleges and universities to create transformational leadership experiences for students and professionals with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. Leadership offers engaging learning experiences on courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. To find more about them, please visit leadership.org or connect with them on social. A huge shout out to our producer, Natalie Ambrosi, who does all the behind the scenes work to make us all look and sound good. We love the support for these conversations from our community. You can help us reach even more folks by subscribing to the podcast on YouTube and our weekly newsletter. If you're so inclined, you can leave us a five-star review. It helps conversations like this, which are so important, reach a broader audience. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to both our fabulous guests today and to everyone who is watching and listening. Make it a great week. Thank you both.